You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 17 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Tia McNelly. I'm Michaela Hooper. And I'm Jess Biondo, and today we are excited to have Sarah Haggerty on the show with us. She is the author of this beautiful new book called Adore, A Simple Practice for Experiencing God in the Middle Minutes of Your Day. Um, And it was on sale March 31st, so it is out now, um, and you can get it anywhere books are sold, I'm assuming. Um, Sarah will confirm for us, but um, here is Sarah. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, ladies. (laughs) Yes, we are so excited you're here. So you are an author, a mom of seven, um, (laughs) writer. I mean, you do so many things. You said this is your third book you have out? It is. I mean, technically my fourth, but my third with Sondervan, yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. Um, So tell us a little bit about... Um, who you are, your story, and what led you to writing this book? I uh, never considered myself to be a writer. I uh, just was a reader, and I love to read, and I love to scribble notes. And, you know, I wrote poetry in my math notebook, but didn't necessarily mean, or didn't necessarily think that that made me a writer. Um, I just knew that if I had hours and of time that was free, I wanted to read, Um, I also didn't plan to have seven children. And so I think at this point in my life, which probably most of your listeners can attest to, if they are in their mid or late 30s, you you have this story that you think you're going to live, and then you have this story that God intends for you to live, and they often don't line up. (laughs) I have seven kids, and I'm an introvert. And I'm a writer, and I never had a dream to write books. Um, wow. That's a little bit about me. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So I would love what to hear led more. you to write the first book? And what is the first book? My first book is called Every Bitter Thing is Sweet. And oh. I um, actually wrote it long before I had any intentions of doing anything with it. I really just wrote it because writing to me was a method of experiencing God's healing in my life. I think so many of us can probably relate to when we tell our story, when we write our story, when we journal our story, there are pieces that come together in our minds, whether we're writers or not, that makes sense in a way that don't doesn't necessarily happen when we're just living it. And so I went through a long stretch of infertility, 13 years, and uh, a lot of loss in my life. My dad died. My husband went through some significant loss in his business. Our early years of marriage were uh, difficult, to say the least. And um, during that time of loss and sort of disillusionment with what I thought the Christian life would be, I just wrote. And I, I, we adopted four children during that time. And I just, I wrote through it all. It was like writing was, was breathing for me, like just being able to exhale some of what I was living. Um, so I wrote this book and sort of thought I would tuck it between my mattress. And my husband kept saying, I think people need to read this. I don't think this is just for you. I think you're a writer, not just a reader. And, um, through a pretty miraculous series of events, which I think it had to be because I was really so stubborn. Um, the book ended up getting in the right hands to publish it. 
And that was in 2014. Wow. wow. That's amazing. And so now yeah. three, three more books, which, so what was mm-hmm. in between the first one? I wrote a two. book that came out three years ago, three years ago called Unseen. And the, the subtitle actually pretty much explains it. It's called the, the subtitle is the gift of being hidden in a world that loves to be noticed. Mm. Wow. Uh, and that came out three years ago. And in both books, I talk about the, the practice of adoration, which I think so many of us kind of put in the category of like spiritual discipline, you know, oh, this is just what I do when um, I want to apply some new kind of Christian principle to my life. But adoration for me has really been a way of dialoguing with God through my deep emotions and using his word as a part of our dialogue. And I have sections of both books where I just talk about adoration. I tell stories in my writing. I'm just a storyteller. And where I tell the stories of how adoration impacts me. And it was finally after those books and another book study that I wrote that I really realized, wow, the fabric of both of these is me engaging with God's word from my emotions. And so it just felt like the right time to put a whole book together about it. Wow. Wow. And it's a beautiful book. The, the last section of it is just stunning. Um, with, I mean, is it meant to be kind of a devotional section there at the back? It is. I mean, I don't love the word devotional because I'm not somebody who reads a ton of devotionals. <laughs> yep. Um, so, but yeah, it is in the sense that like the first section is a lot of my story of how I it started to learn to uh, just pay attention to my deep emotions and my heart before God and dialogue with his word through the parts of him that I really struggled to believe. And then that second section is really like, here it is in practice. Here's what it can look like to have a fresh look at God's word. I've been someone who's been a Christian for a long time. I mean, and right away when I became a believer, I was doing, I don't know if you guys even would know these things, but like topical memory system and my first 30 quiet times and lots of Bible studies and devotionals at that time. So I just had the word in me, but it wasn't until in the past decade that I felt like I kind of need a fresh look at his word. I need to approach his word in a little bit of a fresh way, not to dismiss those other things, but just I needed a fresh encounter with God's word, which has been for me adoration. And so this book is like handing you stories of like, here's my hot mess of a life and how I've (laughs) been finding God in the middle of it. Um, and here are some practical ways that you can too. And I'm just kind of going to give you the scriptures that I've used as I've wrestled with, you know, does he really hear me? Does he really respond to my pain? Does he really pay attention to my ache? Is he, does he really like me? Those sorts of things. (laughs) Wow. When was the time for you when you struggled and you saw this process carry you through? I mean, over and over again. I, right now, I, um, you know, four of my seven children are adopted. And hmm. so we didn't realize that we would be in the deep waters of trauma uh, healing when we adopted. I think we just didn't really know how early childhood pain can stretch across a lifetime. And as my children's pain has served, I mean, we were really naive. Like we adopted during a time and there's a lot of people out there like us who adopted during a time where we just thought giving a child the safety of our home and our arms would really heal them. Uh, And we learned later that they need a whole lot more than just that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And so I think practically speaking, you know, as my, my kids are all teenagers, almost all teenagers, as they have started to grapple with horrific parts of their story, it has caused me as a mom to go, uh, God, do you really restore? I mean, I don't know. I think all of us can relate to seeing some deep pain, whether it be like in our family or down the street or with our friend where we look into the pain and we go, this is absolutely horrific. Like what, how did this happen on God's watch? And can he even really restore this? And it's under my roof. It's my kids. I almost wish it were me more than them because Mm -hmm. it's one thing for me as a mom to carry pain, but to watch them in their young years dealing with pain that was dealt to them that they didn't deserve. Um, on the daily, it looks like I see the pain and it feels absolutely overwhelming. And I wonder if they will ever come out from underneath it. And I have to look at the word and go, what does your word say about you as a restorer? Mm-hmm. Practically speaking, like I think of Psalm 51 um, <laughs> says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Also create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Also let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I mean, Mm. phrases that I think in my daily life I don't necessarily have to wrestle with. But when I look at my kid's pain, I go, I need to know that these bones that have been crushed are ones that you can breathe new life into. And so adoration has been the practice of me coming before God, doing a little bit of railing, like this is an absolute injustice. I cannot believe that this could happen to a child. And it's happened to four of mine. I cannot believe the kind of pain that we have under our roof. I feel so ill-equipped. I I feel like it only brings up more questions about you than it does confidence in you. Hmm. So I'm going to come to you with that and I'm going to hold your word in my hand and I'm going to say, God... The bones are broken. Your word tells me that you let them rejoice. And I am going to adore you and say, God, your word tells me that you are a restorer and you let these bones rejoice, that you create a clean heart, that you create a new spirit. I adore you that I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't believe it. But this is what your word says. And so this is, that's, I mean, that's just one, you know, that was maybe yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so incredible. You've got, you know, 30 or so, I think 30 yeah, different attributes mm-hmm. of God that you really dive into. So I can't imagine that you haven't come away with, with all that deep digging with a few favorite attributes. Do you have mm-hmm. Do you have a few favorites? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ones that is my favorite, probably because I feel like in putting this together, I've been reminded that um, we get really familiar with God and and the sides of God that we get familiar with, we don't revisit. We just assume Mm. I know that side of him. And so... And even the older I get, I feel like I'm at a greater risk of just settling into, oh, I know that about God. Um, but the one that I feel like is the one I continue to need to revisit is the one that's listed as 21, the God who likes me. That's good. Um, I know he likes me in my mind. I talk to my kids about how he likes me. But like when I have really failed or, you know, like, let's be honest, during this time, COVID-19, how many of us have seen so many parts of ourselves and our spouses and our kids that we just don't like? <laughs> and 
word. Like, really? I mean, just let's like, be honest. So all true. Up close to the people. <laughs> it's so Gosh. real. I mean, I, there are things about me that I don't like way more than things about the people under my roof, but we're all not liking yeah. a lot of each other. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, so for example, you know, one of the verses that I have in here is Psalm 104, 31, the, the Lord takes pleasure in all he made and just diving into that for like mm. a day or two or three, like I just snapped at my kids yesterday I have been like super grumpy with my husband who is like doing acrobatics to serve me right now. Mm. I am haven't showered in days and like I'm kind of settling into this gray hair and nothing <laughs> about me feels likable. And you somehow look into my life, God, and you take pleasure in me. Like if we're really honest, we don't live like that. But I think that character, that side of God in particular, if I can scratch a little bit beneath the surface and go, well, I'm grumpy because I don't really like me right now. And I don't like the people around me. <laughs> you know, if I can like scratch a little bit below the surface and like bring that to him and go, how do you feel about me, God, right now? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think of when you look at me and look at his word and go, he takes pleasure in me. Like that's pretty crazy mm-hmm. and kind of dialogue back and forth with God there. I feel like a little bit of my heart starts to open up where I was kind of clamped shut. Mm-hmm. Totally. And yeah. if we start to ask God, how do you see that person? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're struggling to have patience with. Yeah. <laughs> Show me, yeah. You know, remind me of how you see me, but also let me see him, how you see him. Yeah. And I think that's that can, right change our perspective too. Yeah. And that the word preference keeps coming to mind. Like, I I think that we are pretty prone to bowing to our own preferences, especially in this time, exactly what you were just uh, describing. And he, he prefers us. He prefers me, you know, Mm -hmm. like he prefers each and every one of the, the souls that he's created and that mm-hmm. makes me feel really special. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it helps me just like what you're saying, kind of focus in on laying down my own preference in this time that the way I want things to go or how I think things should go or what I want to happen should definitely, I should, I need to take a look at that. That just mm-hmm. kind of hit me. Really well, when, you, when you prefer something, it's, you're putting that over yeah. something else. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's such a powerful thing to know about the Lord is that mm-hmm. he's preferring us yeah, over something, and, you know, over something else, like, yeah, over everything. And preferring yeah. us when we don't like ourselves. Yeah. Because yes. I think that's the thing, you know, I watch it with my kids. Do any of y'all have teenagers or older children? Right here. 17 and 14, both girls. Yeah, so you can relate to this. Um, They don't like themselves a ton in this Mm -hmm. stage. And when you step into when they don't like themselves and you tell them what you like about them, they unfurl. Mm -hmm. My kids, it is like a shot of sugar for me to just whisper in their ear when they are really Mm -hmm. messing up. Like, you are actually amazing. Yep. And your heart, here's what I see about you. Mm -hmm. And yet I forget that God is waiting in the wings to do that with me, that I've just unraveled in some way over a kid or a friend or whatever it is. And when I get quiet, 
oftentimes it is him saying, I see your yes. It's weak, Sarah. It's really weak, but I see that you keep reaching for me and I love it. And something about that, I come a little more alive and I want to talk to him again, just in the same way that my teenager wants to have mom in her life. When mom's the one in the background, not going, I told you not to do, you know, but instead, (laughs) um, you're rocking it. And like looking at my 16 year old going, it's super hard to be 16 and you're rocking 16 and 16 looks really good on you. And you feel like it looks terrible. And I look at you and I see beauty. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. guess what? So she good. wants mom best friend. Yep. 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 That's awesome. I love that. And you're speaking both honor and truth about identity when you mm-hmm. do that. You're saying, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, that's something that I, I started off, I realized it when I was dealing with something with my now 17-year-old. She was 16 at the time. Like, you forgot who you were for a second. I don't know who you were Mm -hmm. acting like, but you weren't acting like you because I see you. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that are true about who you are. So Mm -hmm. why are you acting like this over here? And, And that has carried through to other relationships where, and even with myself, like, why am I acting like a crank? Like, I'm a joyful, happy exuberant person. I'm not, mm-hmm. crank- I'm not a cranky person. Stop acting like that to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, I love that. I love speaking identity into, into our kids and into the other people in our lives. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> so, okay. You said, um, that he likes you. What are some of your other favorite attributes? Um, I mean, they vacillate. It kind of depends on where I am. Like one of the things about this back section is that it really is like, if we can start to, <laughs> pay attention to like where our heart is really getting caught up um, or getting stuck, then I think if, if we can find the part of God that we're wrestling with the most underneath that, I mean, in some senses you might say, well, isn't that over spiritualizing it? But I do think every single part of our heart is intended to connect to God. And so when we're stuck, it's revelatory that there is a side of God that we're wrestling to believe. So if I'm, um, getting going in a spiral about one of my kids am I believing that he's really restored that's one of the characteristics in there and I tend to hang out in that one and just read verses and adore through that side of him Mm -hmm. if I am feeling the uncertainty and it's weighing on me kind of like that low-grade anxiety that I would say probably 90% of Americans have right now (laughs) um, do I really believe that he is provider Or do I believe that he is personal to me, that there is something he's doing in COVID-19 that is very unique for me in my heart right now? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I feel distant from God, which is a lot of the time, I mean, I really think if we are honest, a lot of the time we're really feeling, I'm not saying we are distant, but we're feeling distant. Like I kind of need to know that he doesn't need me to drum it up for him, but that he is my pursuer. That's mm-hmm. another one in there that he pursues me when I don't have the energy to pursue him the way I might want, that he's not waiting so for me to like amp it up. <laughs> so I think I, I kind of toggle between a lot of these because I feel like every couple weeks there's a new side of him that I'm really wrestling to believe. And so mm-hmm. I want his word to inform the parts of me that are going deep down inside. I actually don't really believe you pursue me deep down inside. I kind of think, you're really annoyed that I haven't done a better job of following you. Oh, what a lie. That's so good that you found the truth in that. 
So as we kind of start to wrap up, Sarah, I was wondering if you could share, like, has there been a time through all of this with the adoptions and the kids and the writing and just life where you really questioned the path that you were on? And how did you wrestle through that? Oh, my goodness. So many times. I think especially as a writer, um, it's super vulnerable to create. Mm -hmm. And I think because it is so vulnerable, it makes us subject to the lies of the enemy so much more than in other areas that don't feel as vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's taken me, I mean, I've been writing for uh, 10 years now and actually authoring books then for seven I think it's taken me like a good five, six years to learn how the enemy, his tactics of taking me out. Not that I've like studied the enemy's tactics. I don't mean it like that, but just to be so aware that this is, I have an accuser and I think it's, it is in Revelation that talks about the accuser of the brethren accuses day and night. And so a lot of what I think are just my thoughts about how this is too much and I should probably quit this and it's just overwhelming is in fact actually the ploy of the enemy to take me out. Mm. So yeah, I've questioned it a ton and I feel like I'm getting a little bit smarter. Um, I feel like I'm also getting more versed in the way of God in his word that is enabling me to see the enemy as the enemy and not my own voice in my head. That's good. That's a huge distinction. Yeah, that's powerful. Massively helpful distinction. Yeah. Wow. Um, Sarah, so- I feel like you are just this overflowing fountain of, of knowledge and wisdom. Um, and there's something very sweet about your connection with the Lord that is so attractive to me. Like, Meaning like I, like I desire that adoration practice, um, for myself Mm -hmm. because of watching you. And so, um, we're so grateful that you came on the collective podcast and spoke with us about your new book, Adore. Mm -hmm. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to our audience before we close out? Um, I just, I think I would say the best time to talk to God is when you don't want to. I think that's been one of the keys for me is usually when you don't feel like it and you have a lot that's waiting in the wings for your attention, that's typically the time that, at least for me, tends to be the sweetest encounters with God because mm-hmm. he goes, you could just pivot a tiny bit right here. I promise I'll meet you. Love that. It's awesome. So That's the perfect, <laughs> yep. perfect word there to end. I needed that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Wow. Sarah was an incredible woman to have an opportunity to talk to. Um, You guys weren't able to see the video. We're doing this via Zoom. But at one point, um, as Sarah was describing her adoration practice, she just closed her eyes and literally let it flow out of her right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And it was so moving and and really pushes me to mm-hmm. want to dig into her new book, Adore, and and get into this practice of adoration myself. Yeah. I yeah. think I think the thing that she said about people, like adoring people, 
And just that truth that when we know we're adored by him and we adore him, that flows out of us. Mm -hmm. And we're able to see people and adore people as he does. Totally. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Seriously, go buy this book. Like (laughs) the links are down below that we keep talking about like the second half of the book where she breaks down each one of these characteristics of God and it is a wealth of truth. And for each one, she just, she has so many Bible verses that back it up. And it's just such an amazing tool to jumpstart this for you. Like Mm -hmm. I've been going through it and um, like I have the the copy of the book right now (laughs) and I don't want to give it up. Um, You better give it up, sister. It's so rich and just... You, it's it's a platform to jumpstart your own digging, yeah. Um, because she, I mean, she does so much of it for you, and her words are so beautiful. But then she gives you these springboards to go even deeper, and it, just a great way to start hearing from the Spirit and going deeper with the Lord on your own too. Yeah, love it. Wow, awesome, so, awesome episode, guys. That was so yeah. good. And if you're still stuck at home, start just spending a little bit of time every day adoring the Lord. Yeah. I think it'll pay off. I think so too. It will. Sure. <laughs> All right, friends, we will be with you again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive content, Contests and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at the Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is brought to you by the Gebhardt Sleep Group at Baird Financial, delivering personalized financial advice that helps clients reach their long-term goals. Visit gebhardtsleepgroup.com or see our show notes for links and to learn more. The Collected Podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alon.